You're tuned into Fork Podcast. This week, we're talking to Brendan Lewis Tremblay, law student, traveler, and adventurer. He shares how he embraces change and challenges himself to stay relevant in the constant changing world. Nobody comes out of school with the skills that they need to perform every task that they will on the job market. That's simply not true. School does not have the capacity to prepare you perfectly well for any occupation. Hi, I'm Sean Chris Lewis. Welcome to Forked Podcast. And I am sitting in here today with a guy who you, I might say I've known all of his life. And uh, his name is Brandon Lewis Tremblay. How do I know him all his life? He's my nephew. Awesome guy. Brandon, welcome. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. <laughs> my pleasure, dude. Now, I really want to just start off by saying, What's going on these days? I, every time I see you, I feel like I got to ask what's new, what's going on? Because for you, there's always something new. You're always doing something with the mountain climbing, skydiving, or, or going to law school. I mean, what's going on these days? Yeah, so uh, quite a bit, really. I mean, I just finished my uh, first year of law school. I was uh, admitted to McGill Law last year, so that was a, that was a high point in my life for sure. Um, otherwise, I mean, I'm taking the summer off. I've been working obviously all these years, but I decided to take the summer off. Um, and I started rock climbing. So, uh, trying to pursue those mountaineering goals one little step at a time. And so, yeah, so, uh, been spending a lot of time on the rocks. Yeah. As long as I've known you, you've been involved in some kind of sport or something. It's, uh, from a little kid playing soccer and hockey and yeah, that, so this goes back a long way for you, right? Sports and activity of course of course i mean by the age of three i was on skates so uh right then and there that started very early and um i played competitive hockey for quite some time uh, as i grew older obviously you know our, our interests change our passions change and yeah over the past years i've uh i've, I've been involved in uh, a lot of different sports of you know many mixed martial arts powerlifting rock climbing skiing cycling uh I mean, you name it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really do feel like it. You name it, you've done it. But here's the other thing too, because uh, sometimes we think that this this guy is like absorbed in all these sports and stuff. From the youngest age, I can remember. Actually, I was talking to my daughter the other day, Andrea, and we were kind of laughing. She said, "Remember uh, that Christmas that Brendan? He was like only like seven years old, and he'd always have a book under his arm. Like you were, you were like a, a reader, like from a really young age. You're always carrying a book." Absolutely, Sean. I guess we must get it from the same spot because you like to read too, don't you? So <laughs> that makes two of us. Yeah, you got the reading and I somehow feel like you got the good looks from your uncle Sean too over here. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I'm on that level yet, no. <laughs> but that, so tell me, what do you, how do you think all this is sort of played out for you you know you you can't know for sure but from a young age reading multiple sports and doing do you think it kind of sounds like a little bit of a like you're a generalist you're a guy going after multiple things yeah i think i think we could say that and i think that these different passions all come together and form uh, some form of a nexus if you will where um you know my curiosity uh, for many different topics kind of plays into my athletics and um, 
both disciplines end up complementing themselves and helping me go further in each, right? So, I mean, obviously, if you're an athlete and uh, you're very interested in rock climbing, for example, you'll benefit a lot from wanting to go out there and learn more about your discipline without having people, without waiting for that information to come to you, right? I mean, you'll go online, you'll look for information. And so definitely, I, I mean, I, I would qualify myself as a generalist. I'm as much of a nerd as I am an athlete. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, but and, and definitely I think they do play in together and uh, they, they complement each other. And, and that really helps me go further. Going and doing your own research on different sports. Uh, that's I think that is something that really liberated you, right? When you didn't have to always go and formally study things. Uh, I mean, rock climbing. Did you take courses or is it really something you're just self-educated in a lot of this stuff? Right. Well, so rock climbing is one of those sports where your life is on the line when you're outside. <laughs> so maybe a course or two. Well, you'll, you'll laugh because this is the funny part, right? Is that um, so basically at, at our at our rock climbing gym, there's two different types of, uh, of rope climbing that you can do. There's lead climbing and there's top roping. Top roping is generally safer, a lot easier to learn. Lead climbing is something that's uh, perhaps a little more risky, a little more dangerous. Um, I mean, I, we won't go into the details, but it's funny because I needed to have a, I needed to pass a test to be allowed to lead belay people at my gym. And um, I never, I never took that course. No, <laughs> I had a friend show me outside and, you know, YouTube videos, by the way, I'm, I don't condone this. I do advise anybody who's interested in rock climbing to get a professional course, right? It's, it's, it's definitely a good idea. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you took it to the next level, you'd go and do some Wait, do you need some sort of certification to go in? I mean, there's lineups apparently to uh, climb Mount Everest right now, right? Yeah. I, I'm, I doubt they're all certified <laughs> climbers. Right. Well, I mean, this is this is the thing, right? So, I mean, those those alpinists have the uh, have the funds to hire professional guides. But if you're going out in, let's say, Quebec and rural Quebec and doing it on your own, then you're going out with some friends. So you need to make sure that you can trust those those people that you're out there with and trust yourself as well. Because, again, right, your life is on the line. So um, as much as learning a lot yourself is great and it'll help you stay safe, definitely. Um, I think, yeah, having a course is probably the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so listen, uh, we won't stay on that subject too long. But I feel like you're the kind of guy who can answer a question that I've been having a conversation with with people in regards to this queuing up of climbing to the Mount uh, Mount Everest. Okay, a guy who pays somebody to take them up the mountain, passes out from frostbite, is dying on the side of the path, and they've been pretty much passed by multiple people who don't stop to help. What's with that, dude? Who who does that? Would you do that? Like, would you? Sorry, I gotta get to this. I paid a lot of money to get to the summit of this mountain, and you know that's what they did too. So maybe it's easy to pass them by. You knew the risks. You paid the money. Maybe you do the same to me. Yeah, I don't think I'd do the same to you, Sean. I I definitely save you, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think I think there's a two pronged problem with the whole Everest thing here is that, you know, you have people who are mountaineering, but they're mountaineering for the wrong reasons. I think that's a that's a recurring theme in the 21st century, isn't it? I mean, you have a lot of people doing a lot of things for very for the very wrong reasons. So Everest is the highest mountain on Earth. And if you have eighty thousand dollars, you can hire a Sherpa, get your oxygen, get all your equipment and you'll have that person bring you to the summit. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, follow the regime and go to the top. These are people who've not necessarily climbed or mountaineered ever in their lives. Right. Yeah. And so I think that the issue here really is you have people queuing to take a picture at the top, at the, at the top of the highest mountain on earth, maybe for bragging rights, maybe because, you know, oh, it's just like the, next the ultimate selfie, dude. Like right. You got like a, is it, isn't a it? dying guy in the snow behind you. <laughs> 
<laughs> you got like cracking out the photos here. I had to step over four bodies on my way to the top. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bizarre, man. It's, it is a bit strange. Things are bringing the worst out of people. But we're not going to get negative because there's a lot of great stuff happening. But speaking of that, you're in law. One of the things that we talked about actually was over Christmas. I overheard you speaking to, I forget who you're speaking to, where you said, listen, then, you know, in my field, I'm, I'm acutely aware that there's going to be disruptions in my field. There's going to be changes. And, you know, I'm, I'm mindful of that while I'm preparing for my future. What were you really getting to with that? Right. So I think um, the 21st century is obviously going to see a lot of disruptions and the law field is no exception. I mean, we have the rise of artificial intelligence. Um, you know, we're taking it to new heights. And really, I mean, the the nature of the legal profession is bound to change. When you start out as a lawyer, often you do a lot of research for more senior lawyers so that they can put files together and, you know, bring them to term. Um, legal research in and out of itself is something that, uh, a lot of AI specialists think that they would be able to construct robots to do. So then what happens to the people who were traditionally conducting legal research? That question goes unanswered. A lot of us think that it's going to change the nature of the work where you're going to be able to spend time on uh, more value added things, right? Such as putting files together rather than, you know, digging through uh, statutes and jurisprudence to find what you're looking for. Um, but yeah, so I mean, ultimately, the, 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 na the nature of the profession is going to change. And I think that now more than ever, that that essentially means that as uh, future professionals, you need to make sure that you have a very diverse skill set and an ability to adapt to whatever change is coming our way, because the change is uh, by nature uncertain. So, so you really need to be able to adapt to that change and have um, a very broad skill set so that you can continue to be valuable uh in in the legal field really wow yeah that, well put man. from your background as being in multiple sports always reading and reading different things that's that's one thing about you i know i could sit here and talk to you about world war ii i can talk to you about politics i can talk to you about sports and you're a very well-rounded person with your knowledge so do you think that that's enabling you by not being such a so so specifically focused do you think that's what's enabling you to not see disruptions in your field as a problem as much as it's just something life throws at you yeah absolutely so i am actually looking forward to the disruptions in the law field because i myself am not looking forward to doing hours and hours of legal research if i can avoid it right i mean if there's a computer to do that and i can do something which is more challenging more fun more stimulating then why not there's nothing that I see as an issue there, but then why, you know, why would a generalist benefit from, um, you know, this change in AI? Well, I mean, it makes you, it makes you very capable. It essentially it provides you with the skills which are more human um, than what we're traditionally used to. So I think throughout the 19th, you know, throughout the 19th and the 20th century, we saw a rise in uh, valuing skills within humans, which made us similar to computers in a way, right? So, I mean, if you have an accountant, um, as an example, who uh, becomes extremely mechanical, right? He knows the tax code, like the back of his hand. He knows everything there is to know. I mean, long term, this person might get replaced with tax software because all you have to do is enter numbers into mm -hmm. software and it's going gonna, it's gonna to plug out a result, right? Um, so these, these traditional skills, which are akin to a human mind being sort of computerized, right? A another example would be the world's best chess player. I mean, 
the, the 20th century saw the world's best chess player get beat by a computer. So is being good at chess still a marketable skill? Well, in and out of itself, it's not, right? There's something about the world's best chess player today, Magnus Carlsen, which is very different from your traditional chess player. I mean, he's, he's, he's good looking and he's charismatic. And I think that- Good looking's really important. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely part of his success. Because I gotta say that because I didn't know who Magnus Carlsen, uh, who, that? Yeah, yeah, Magnus Carlsen, yeah, yeah. How do you know that? <laughs> uh, I, I like chess. <laughs> But all that to say, right, that these more human skills is really what's going to set you apart from the competition. I mean, when you're going to be bidding for clients someday and uh, computers are going to be a big part of uh, your business, then your ability to attract and retain clients is something which is going to be extremely important as an example. And people who are going to be able to attract and retain clients are people who are going to be personable, people who are going to be able to relate to many different people. And so being a generalist in that sense, in my opinion, and in my life has been extremely, has, has been extremely uh, rewarding where I mean I feel as if if you put me in a room with athletes blue collar workers white collar workers you know I'll make an effort and I think I have the capability to relate to a lot of these people because of uh, yeah my sounds my like you're talking about emotional intelligence right I, I suppose we could label it emotional intelligence it's funny I was reading something yesterday in, in Canada especially, emotional intelligence is one of the uh, most important characteristics in a leader. And that's, you would think that that's, it's, it's that across the world, but it's not. Germany, uh, Eastern Europe in general, uh, leaders are more highly regarded when they are more logical, cold, mechanical. Whereas in Canada and some parts of uh, Western Europe, they definitely favor Scandinavia, for example. They definitely favor people with higher emotional intelligence, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I actually was reading as well yesterday, um, funny how we got on the subject, but where they were saying that um, there was a talk at Google or something and they got up and said, who in this room was valedictorian in their, um, in their school? And out of like, there's a hundred people and like there was like two or three hands that went up. And the whole point what he was making was that after school, after you've graduated, your IQ, your academic intelligence, there's no real way of, of knowing how far you're going to go. It's actually a whole different skill set kicks in after you graduate. And they were talking about in emotional intelligence, your ability to work with other people, right? Your ability to empathize with other people's problems all became more important and as predictors of a person's success and movement in the uh, workforce. Oh, absolutely. I can, I can see that as being a major driver within the workforce in the 21st century. Again, you, we have computers doing a lot of the things which humans traditionally did, jobs which we don't necessarily want to do. They're mechanical, they're routine. Uh, they need you to have certain knowledge and to reapply it over and over again. These are things which we have computers to do now. So what can't a computer do? Well, a computer can't relate with a coworker, right? right? A computer can't relate with a client. A computer can't have yet a relationship right. with a human being. And so it's these skills which are becoming, in my opinion, extremely important uh, as, as time goes by more, more so than perhaps uh, in the 20th century. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so looking at it from that perspective, um, we, plus we don't want people doing these crazy repetitive jobs. That's not good for anybody, right? If people can learn, if we can help people to learn to, to reinvent themselves, 
um, develop new skills to do different things. I don't see all this disruption of AI as like a, this sinister thing that's going to the collapse of the economy and people will, I've heard it written up that there's going to be a useless class coming through. I think that humans have always found a way through all the economic crisis that, that that's come our way. Would How do you feel about that? I mean, that, that's an interesting point. I mean, personally, I do think that this disruption is quite different than anything we may have seen before in the sense that it's happening much more rapidly than anything that we've ever experienced, right? So just 10 years ago, um, I don't know if you've seen uh, that there's a university in Boston or it might, it might be a company. They have a robot that they basically, they, they bring around with them. They push it over. The robot can climb fences. It can, it can walk. It really, it's, it's quite something really. It picks up boxes, it stacks them and it looks like a human, right? And so, I mean, you look at this and you think 10 years ago, that wouldn't have been a thing. I mean, we have- You're right. Yes. Yeah. I remember that that white robot that walked out on stage all awkward looking like it was going to tip over any second. That felt like the newest technology. I don't think it was even 10 years ago. Exactly. So, I mean, things are moving very fast, you know, automated cars. And I mean, the second that all of these changes start coming uh, into practice where, you know, we start using them wide scale uh, within our businesses, I think that we might see a big disruption Um, in the labor force. And that's why it's so important to be a generalist again, because if you have a broad skill set, you will be able to change fields and you will be able uh, to find um, alternative work perhaps, or, you know, carve your own niche. If you're, if you're self-employed, you'll find a place. Uh, It's very important to, to definitely have a wide variety of interests and yeah. So you're talking about now, this is tough because I can put somebody in a classroom and say, study this, learn this really well. Once you know that there's this job that goes along with knowing this and you're, you're set, you're good for life. You're good to go. But that's not what's happening. You were talking about now, like getting, teaching people to have a personality right? Teaching people to work with white collar workers, blue collar workers, athletes, be able to have a conversation with many people. Um, so hold on a second. How, how do you, is this something that just happened for you by accident or is this intentional? Do you set out to develop yourself in a way to be able to, to, be in multiple situations and perform well in those? You need to be open to learning new things. You need to be ready to take on new challenges. It's not because you weren't taught something in school that you can't be able to learn on your own, right? I mean, I think um, the ability to self-learn is something which is gonna be tremendously important. If you start a new job and it demands Microsoft Excel and on your in your interview, you say you don't know how to use Excel, which might very well be true, the chances are you're not gonna get that job, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you maybe tell your employer, future employer, Oh, that you do have some knowledge of Excel and then go home and learn how to use Microsoft Excel on your own, which is something that you're going to need to do at some point anyways. Um, you know, that that's a massive advantage. Nobody comes out of school with the skills that they need to perform every task that they will on the job market. That's simply not true. School does not, it does not have the capacity to prepare you Uh, perfectly well for any occupation, right? So the ability to learn on your own and to have an open mind and to go out there and expand your knowledge and your skill base is just, it's it's tremendous, it's a tremendous advantage. Now, 
Are, is this being discussed in the classroom? You're at a very good university. You're at McGill University. So I would assume that this is a I th- conversation. At McGill, for our part, I think it is, it is a conversation that's happening, especially between the students. So um, something which is very important uh, at McGill, something which they prioritize in their, in their enrollment, uh, sorry, in their application process, is uh, student involvement. They want to make sure that people who are going to come to McGill are going to get involved. And so while professors are also joining in on the conversation, students are very well aware of the challenges that this may face in the 21st century, uh, that they may face in the 21st century. So, I mean, we do have a lot of talks. We have a lot of, um, yeah, you know, panelists coming in and discussing what, what the challenges of AI are, what does the future of law and AI look like. And so, I mean, it's very multifaceted because it also has, it, it also promises to create new jobs in, in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jobs which we didn't have in the, 20, in the 20th Absolutely. century. Yeah. You know, one example of that is, I forget, I forget who I was listening to, but somebody, somebody was speaking about how there would likely be a resurgence of traditionally you know, less valued fields as time went by um, in, in a changing workforce. So an example of that would be philosophy, right? So when you think of a philosophy major, you don't necessarily expect this person to have a job waiting for them upon graduation, right? Because there's just not, there's just simply no field which exists. There's no companies which Yeah, practice. we don't want to pay people to sit around and think. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it, I get it. It's more right, right, that. right. Yeah, yeah we, we, we wish that that was the case, right? That we could pay people to sit around and think. But unfortunately, we don't. At least not as of yet. But, you know, we're faced with some issues, some, some moral issues we're forced with these moral dilemmas, right? These age-old moral dilemmas, which we never really had to answer because we didn't have these kind of problems because humans were always the main driver. But now we're, now we're creating algorithms which are going to, you know, essentially there's going to be millions of these iterations happening everywhere, every day. And some things, some bad things are going to happen, right? AI is going to result in some, some of these moral issues. And we really need to have answers to these difficult questions. And um, I mean, the, the people who are best equipped, allegedly, to deal with these problems are people who studied humanities. They're people who spent their lives thinking about, you know, what is a good decision? What is a bad decision? And yeah, so, you know, you, you, I, I do think we're going to see a resurgence for these uh, for these degrees, which have been in recent years, perhaps uh, been shunned somewhat, you know, in favor of AI engineers, um, law, law. <laughs> no, even us, even us. <laughs> We've also been getting the shaft. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a really interesting point. So you were just talking about um, the disruptions, um, changes in your generation and the conversations you guys are having in schools. So I was talking to you before we, we hit the record button here and we were talking about major issues that face millennials. I think it's a useful segue into an equally interesting conversation is that we have a generational gap today where the, the younger generation has a lot of difficulty understanding the older, the older generation and vice versa, right? It really is the case. So some people are quite open-minded. Um, I, I don't know the code names for the generations, but let's yeah. just call them the older generation. Yeah. Some people are quite open-minded and so perhaps they, they don't have that difficulty. Um, but I think that for a lot of people, the, the older generation is incapable of understanding the struggles of the younger generation. To, to them, they think that, you know, we're entitled, that we've been given everything. But the fact of the matter is, is that we've been growing up with 
an existential threat looming over our heads, which is climate disaster, which is one thing among many others. I think both generations have had their struggles. There's this inability to understand one another. Well, yeah, you started talking about climate change and you can't, you know, climate change needs the mind of a global unity, right? We need to see that what I spew out into the air in Montreal that doesn't stay in my backyard. Yeah, I mean, there's this feeling that there's some kind of indoctrination that's happened in schools among some people, right? All the youth have been indoctrinated to think that the world is going to, you know, explode um, because uh, there's too much CO2 in the atmosphere. I mean, it's all a hoax. And I mean, like, we laugh about these things, but a lot of people do believe these things. And it's an issue because it, it wouldn't be so much of an issue if we didn't live in a democratic society, aka China. But we do. We live in a democratic society where everyone has a voice and everyone's voice counts and our elected officials are there to represent um, the, uh, are, are there to represent our voices. So so long as there's a substantial amount of people who deny these these issues, um, this is going to be represented in parliament and in government, and the issue is not going to be properly addressed. And so that creates a lot of frustration, right? Because you have some people thinking, well, I mean, how could you possibly institute a carbon tax for a hoax, right? You've been indoctrinated; it's just yeah. a tax grab. So that creates resentment on one side. And then the younger generations like, well, no, I mean, you know, for the sake of our children and their children, you know, this carbon tax is one step among money which are necessary to ensure their survival. And so there's this big, there's a, there's, there's a lot of frustration, a lot of animosity. It's uh, a mess. Dude, it's a mess. It is a mess. <laughs> it's a big yeah. mess. But here's the thing. Are you optimistic? Um, it's difficult to always be optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do, I do have some optimism. Uh, it's, it is, it is difficult though. It is difficult. I don't know how far, you know, the, the scientific communities, uh, doesn't have a consensus on how far we've gone towards Armageddon. So it's difficult to say what would happen if we turned around tomorrow and fixed the issue. But I mean, the only thing we can be is optimistic because there's no sense in, uh, you know, right. living our lives and being ourselves over it. I right. Know. They yeah. always say if you operate from a place of gratitude, you'll always be solution oriented. You're, you're not ignoring the problems, but your mind is focused on what you've got and the solutions to use what you've got. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that's, a, that's good advice, Sean. I, th- I think you could apply that to almost anything in life. You know, a lot of, a big theme in your podcast has been overcoming um, difficulties, right, in your life. And I think that um, we've all, regardless of our background, we've all had to deal with uh, some some form of, of trouble uh, growing up or maybe as adults. And I think the important thing is to use that, um, that, 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 that difficulty, that obstacle in your life, and to make something good about it rather than letting it beat you down. And climate change, while it's an issue that we all face, is no different, right? It's an opportunity for us and humanity as a whole to learn. Yeah. 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 And I really liked what you just said, that, you know, we've all gone through stuff. And if we could just not use that as a reason to just be angry, go out and fix it. There's so many ways to fix our problems, right? What... What would you give as advice to young people who are going through, even people my age, I think young people can give older people advice and vice versa, but what do you say? Like, if you're young right now, you don't know what you want to do. You knew law school, you knew mountaineering, you skated, you obviously showed interest that brought you into it, but 
a lot of people don't do that. They don't know what, they don't have interests. How do you make somebody or help somebody get interested in stuff? That's, that's a good question, Sean. I think, I think it's very important to just go out and do something. You know what I mean? I mean, an example of this is, you know, you were like, wow, you know, how great would it be to have a podcast? What did you do? You started a podcast. And, you know, your first episodes, they're not going to be perfect. And every episode is going to be better than the last. And who knows? Your podcast might lead you to grow this into something greater. Or it might even lead you into different endeavors, right? You don't know where it's going to lead you. And I think um, interests are very similar. So today I ski and I mountaineer. Um, I mean, and I, and I climb really. But, I mean, I didn't... I didn't one day wake up and say, hmm, I would like to start rock climbing. You know, it, it all starts somewhere. So, I mean, my interest for rock climbing came from uh, a road trip. Last, last summer, I road tripped out to California and I visited a lot of the national parks on the way. Um, I was an avid hiker. I wanted to get into mountaineering. And then when I was out there, I discovered that there's this world, rock climbing, right? And it's so it's through doing, it's through your journey which you where you will discover that there's these that there's 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 these things out there right you have these other interests uh that you're going to pursue you'll never discover them if you sit at home and think to yourself what would i like to do next no you know what just go out and do something do anything you'll meet people they'll tell you about something it's funny last night actually um i uh these two guys who I met last week at a dinner. I'd never met them in my life. Uh, I told them I rock climb. They're like, oh, really? So, you know, oh, so what's it like? I was like, well, how, how about you come by the gym and I'll show you. So last night they came out. One of them bought himself some shoes and a chalk bag. I mean, he's not an athlete. He's a musician. He hasn't played any sports in like 10 years. And he was like, wow, I really like this, you know? So he went out, got himself some shoes, a chalk bag. He's going to get himself a membership. So, I mean, I, I, that's, really, that's really the way to go, right? Be open-minded. Try new things. Go out there. And uh, just do anything, just do something, you know, meet people. Yeah, and stop being a loner, right? Right. You just, you just hit it on that. that. That's you building your network. And it's always said, you'll get anything done in life through and with other people. I mean, it makes total sense. And that's what you're out there doing. Being different, trying new things, being open-minded, meeting new people, building your emotional intelligence, and that, my friend, is going to prepare you for any disruptions that come your way in life. I hope, I hope so, Sean. <laughs> it will, Brandon. So listen, then, I want to thank you so much for coming on here. And we will have a part two. You and I can talk forever. I, I, of course. I feel like we got to end it at like 40 here because like we'll go on, but I'd rather just see you again. We don't see each other enough, by the way. We're going to fix that. We shall. All right, buddy. So I want to wish everybody out there an awesome day. And Brandon, you have an awesome day too, bud. Thanks, Sean. You too. Thanks for having me.